Good morning. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but we have this event taking place called Encounter. Um, we've been talking about this for a long time, and we are so pumped, stoked, excited, whatever other words you could throw in there, that's what we are. Um, we knew first of the year that we were going to do this. I knew that God had put that on my heart, and so we reached out to, um, our church has has men that, um, are, we call them overseers, they just are instrumental in my life, speaking in my life. Um, so we had reached out to them, and, and all their schedules are clear. These are guys that, like, pastor, I mean, huge churches, like two, 3,000-member churches, and um, they're all cleared out, and they're coming. It's going to be fantastic. So we've been praying. We've been preparing. Just know that God has a word for us from them. And I get to kick it all off this morning. Like, I get to do this, like, kick the whole encounter off, set the tone. I got a word from God. I'm so excited about it. I cannot wait. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. Listen, you're going to take notes this morning, and here's what you're going to write down, nine words. Can you do that? I mean, you might write down more than nine words, but um, there's only nine words that make up three points. I want to make sure you get them all because what I believe is this. I believe that when we encounter God's presence like we're going to, sometimes we tend to think that, that that's easy, right? But what I've learned is that there's, there's always things that can, like there's always ways out, right? If we, I don't know if I like that. And so there's always ways to get out of that, ways to have excuses. And so this morning I just want to like set the tone, give you this message, make sure that you know these three keys that can help you get the most out of the next four nights. We've got too many people coming that have prayed too long to deliver something from God for us to squander that. I want to make sure that we're all prepared. So, okay, you got your note sheets. You ready? And here we go. The first, the first truth is just comes from one verse, and then um, I'll share three, three truths. The, the first key is from this one verse, and then the last key, uh, which we'll save for the last because it's so fantastic, uh, is this truth that God laid on me a couple years back in the most bizarre place ever. If I told you where the place was, you'd be like, I don't know if God can do that, but he did. And I'll share that with you at the end. Let's start, though, in Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44, Jesus is talking, and Jesus is sharing a parable, and parables are when he would, like, okay, he would say, take something that you know, and let's compare it to something that you don't know. And so he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to something. And he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. How many of you like treasure? Okay, don't raise your hand, but if you've ever, if, if you've ever bought a lottery ticket, you like treasure. Okay, right? We like, we like money. Like a little coin, right? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, bless you, hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. You got to get this. He's digging it up. He finds it. He buries it. He hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Here's a couple things I want you to remember. The kingdom of God needs to be sought. You got to look for it. Now, we live in a culture where people don't want to work for anything, but they want to be given everything, right? I'm in that culture, too. I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about all of us. That's our culture. But the kingdom of heaven needs to be sought. This man dug it up. He worked at it. It took effort for him to find the kingdom. And then he went out in his joy to buy the field. Those are your first three words, buy the field. I was thinking this week as I was prepping, um, you ever made, um, you know what buyer's remorse is? Yeah. I, I'm, we don't have time to go around and ask all of you, like, what did you buy and then immediately, like, wish you hadn't? 
Um, when I was when I was in high school, my parents needed to put down pine straw. Any of you guys put pine straw down? That's fun, isn't it? Like you you pull the bale, the string off the bale, you pick up a clump of stuff, and you just shake it. You know, we used, I used to do landscaping, and we called it um, clump and dump. <laughs> it's fantastic. You shake it, and so it looks natural. Like it just goes everywhere. What it goes, it goes all in your shirt and on your pants, and it just itches like crazy. And my parents, they needed pine straw put down around their house. So like in the front of the yard and behind, behind the house, on the side of the house, all the way down around the pool. Like I had to put all this. It's like I want to say it was a hundred and some odd bales of straw in the heat of the summer, putting them out, right? They paid us a dollar a bale. So me and my brother, we put all the straw out, and then they gave us the money. And we worked really hard that summer because we had something that we wanted to buy. And so we took all the money that we had, and we went down to Kmart. Now, you know you're old when you're talking about Kmart, right? We went down to Kmart here in Albemarle, and we walked in, and we purchased with our money, wait for it, the best stereo system money could buy back in the day, right? So it consisted of a radio and this thing that you get these, like, round discs, and you put them on, like, a holder, and you push a button, and, like, a needle goes on it, and it turns around, and it plays music. It's called a record player, okay, if you didn't know what that was. But it wasn't just a record player, and it wasn't just a radio. No, 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 no. We went high, or we went top dollar. So not only do we have a radio, AM and FM, not only do we have a record player, this puppy came with an eight-track player. Come on, come on, eight-track, right? And so I, not only did we buy that, I bought eight tracks to go with it. And so I would rock out to Barry Manilow, right? <laughs> Rocking out to Barry Manilow. We're just ships that pass in the night. You have to Google that later. And we took it home and we set it up. And we started rocking to Barry Manilow, and Stevens loving it. You have to know my brother Stevens. He's just like, you know, he's all excited about it, and I'm pumped about it. And my dad's just like, this is awesome. And it's just three guys in a room, testosterone and an eight-track player, right? And my mom walks in, and she looks at it, and the first thing she says is, you paid how much for that? And that was my first experience with buyer's remorse. I was just like, pack it up, boys. Let's take it back. Let's return it. This is crazy. I can't believe we spent that much money on it. And we didn't take it back. My dad's like, we're not taking that back. He was rocking so hard to that brand man low A-track. Listen, I want you to know something. It costs something to get God. It costs something. And you'll never regret it. There's no buyer's remorse in the kingdom. At least not for me. I can't speak for you. I've never I've never gone all in on pursuing God and lived to regret it. Never. It's not easy, for sure. And I want you to write this down under by the field. Don't choose convenience over cost. Don't choose convenience over cost. God is not convenient. He is costly, and he is worth every penny. By the field. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 13. It's, uh, it's a weird story. Um, there's this prophet, Elisha, and he is growing older, and he's about to die. And there is a king who has not lived for God, and he goes to visit the prophet because he wants to get a word from the prophet before the prophet dies. And so this is where we find the second key. 
We'll pick this up in 2 Kings 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. It says this. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. That means he's sick. And Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. And Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. We got any hunters in the house this morning? Any hunters? They're, they're all hunting. Yeah. <laughs> he said, get a bow and some arrows. And so he, the king gets a bow. He gets, he gets an arrow. And he tells him, look. Open up the east window and shoot an arrow out the window. And so the king does. And when he shoots the arrow out the, out the window, this is what Elisha says. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. The king's feeling good, right? That's a good thing. It's like when you've been told you're going to beat your the team you love to beat the most, you've been told you're going to beat them. That's a good feeling, right? And so while the king's kind of sitting there going, I'm pretty good. Like, I shot that arrow really nicely. Went way out there. Stuck in that tree. Sweet. And I've got complete victory. The prophet continues, and here's what he says. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha said, strike the ground. There's your next three words. Strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. That was strike the ground. And the man of God was angry and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. But because you only struck it three times, you'll only defeat this army three times. Elisha went, um, the, the, the king went from complete victory to partial victory to eventually total defeat. Why? Because... He was like us, and he felt like a fool. See, guys will get this, right? It's one thing to be told to shoot an arrow, because that's real manly. It's like you pull back, you flex while you do it, too. Check that out, right? That's real manly stuff. So you can feel good about it. That's your power. That's exciting. But then to be told to take the arrows and strike the ground, this is a king. He's talking to a king, and he strike the ground. Can you just picture this king like, do what? I shot the arrow, dude. Come on, seriously. You gave me complete victory. Strike the what? With what? Fine. Good. Striking the ground? requires something of us. It requires that we want victory at no, no matter what the cost. Don't choose complacency over victory. And that's exactly what this king did. He had total victory, and because he had total victory, he was complacent. He was not hungry. We talk a lot about, um, don't take this personally if you are one, but food critics are never skinny. They're very picky. You can put a fantastic meal in front of a food critic, and he or she will go, eh. But put that same meal in front of a starving person, and they will eat it until there's nothing on the plate. This king was complacent in his victory. Listen, if you're serving Jesus, you got victory, right? So this week as we come to encounter, don't come complacent in victory. Grab the arrows. You know how long he should have hit the ground? He should have hit the ground until the 
the prophet grabbed his arm and said, that's enough. Man, go hard after God. Buy the field. Strike the ground. Stay hungry. Stay thirsty, my friends. Which brings us to number three. And before I even tell you what the third one is, I have got to set this up. I've got to come down closer for this because it's such a fantastic story. Have you ever had the Lord speak to you, maybe audibly or maybe not quite audibly, but you just knew it was God? Anybody ever had that happen? You just knew it was God, right? Yeah. Well, I had God speak to me. It's been a, it's been a number of years before, and um, I just knew. I knew that it was God, but it was in such, such a weird place I was like, I can never tell anybody this because it's just such a weird story. They're going to think I'm the craziest person around, but I'm going to tell you this morning because it just really gets this third point before we get to it, right? So Wendy and I were shopping for a gift for her mother, okay? Now, the gift, to be clear, was pajamas. So I'm with Wendy as we're shopping for pajamas for her mother, and we're in Belks, and in order to find the pajamas, we had to walk through the Lingerie department. Lingerie. And as we're walking through the lingerie department, I felt like God, I saw, the, I saw like the Wonder Bra display, and I, I saw it, and I tried to be like a good pastor, so I saw it, and I looked away right away. It's like, I don't want to see that. You know, it's, it's, it's awkward enough going through the lingerie department with my wife looking for something for my mother-in-law, but like, I don't want to see that. And I felt like God said, look at that display. Do what? Like, Really? You're not going to kill me? Seriously? Okay. What? He said, that's a picture of the American church. Uplifting? <laughs> I don't get it. What? Now, I'm assuming you know what a Wonder Bra is. I don't want to go into a diagram I don't want to show you how to wear one, but I was like, how is the Wonder Bra a picture of the American church? This is crazy. I mean, I know you're God, but what? He said, the Wonder Bra, the entire industry is, is successful because of one simple fact. People want to improve. They don't want to change. God, that, that sounds really good. Could you say it maybe a little more and explain it a little bit more? And he's like, listen, if the women wanted to really change, they would pay the price to have surgery. But because they only want to appear to have changed, they put this bra on. And eventually someday the bra comes off and you realize, oh, wasn't quite what we thought. Sorry, Wendy's just shaking her head. I told you, this is why I never tell people about this. <laughs> so I was like, huh, the Wonder Bra religion. Interesting, right? So because I'm a good pastor, I said to God, um, I'm, you're going to have to show me that in Scripture. And he's like, it's in there. And I know some of you are theologians, and you're like, I've read the Bible from cover to cover, and I've never once seen the word Wonder Bra, and I know it's not even in the Hebrew or the Greek. But you would be wrong. Let's show you. Math, Mark. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Verses 22 through 26. It says this. Jesus and the people here with, they came to Bethsaida. 
And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Now, let's just talk, stop there for a second. <laughs> people don't like drama, right? Um, people get tired of drama. Now, I love you, and, and if you've got drama going on in your life, if people are staying with you, those are good friends, right? People just run away from drama. So can you see these friends? They're pulling this man. They're bringing this man to Jesus, and they're be- they are begging Jesus to, to heal this man. Do you know why? They're sick of leading a blind man around. They're tired of it. They're like, man, our life, come, are you, could you just heal our friend, please? And what I love in this story, honest, is Jesus takes his hand and leads him. Sometimes we drag people to Jesus, but Jesus takes their hand and leads them. I'm telling you something, being led by Jesus, so different than the way that men treat each other. Jesus has a way of taking us by the hand and leading us to a place that he can change us. And I love that. So he takes this man and he leads him outside the village. And then if you're reading the verse, it says, when he had spit on the man's eyes. Uh, God, I think you might have made a little bit of a mistake here. Uh, It says that Jesus spit on the man's eyes. Uh, It's in the Bible. I mean, Jesus stands in front of this man and basically goes, spit on his eyes. I mean, he didn't see it coming, but he spit on his eyes, right? Spit on his eyes. He felt it, right? Kind of, whoa, what was that? And I know what you're thinking. I don't see the word wonder bra. Hang with me. And then Jesus says to the man, do you see anything? Now, I want to make sure that you feel the moment. This is a man who has heard stories about Jesus, who knows that Jesus is probably the Son of God. At least he thinks he's the Messiah. And the Son of God is healing you and looks at you and says, do you see anything? Now, I've had pastors, ministry leaders pray over me and ask me, do you feel different? And I've told them yes because I didn't want to tell them the truth, right? This man said to Jesus, kind of. And that is the wonder of our religion. If all he wanted to do was improve a little, he would have said yes and been done with it. But he wanted to see. He wanted to be changed completely. And I know that we're talking about a blind man here, but we're talking about you and me and our stuff. Like what is that thing that you want to not just improve, but you want to change? And you want to change so desperately that you would actually say to Jesus, nice try, try again. And when he said, I see People kind of like shadows and trees walking around. What he was saying was, Jesus, I need you to touch me again. And follow where this guy is. All he knows to this point is Jesus' really bizarre and weird method of healing blind people is to spit in their eyes. And if I tell him that I'm not really seeing people like I want to see people, he may spit on me again. So I kind of picture this man like, Jesus says, does thou see anything? And he goes, uh, they're kind of like trees, try again. Just waiting for more spit. And spit happens, right? 
How hungry are you for the Lord? How desperate are you for the Lord? Are you desperate enough to, third point, last three words, risk the spit? Will you risk the spit? Will you go so far in with Jesus that no matter what he does, you'll stand there and take it because you want to be changed, not just improved and not just appear to be something that you're not. And, and I, that's the Wonder Bra story. It's a man who says, I don't want to appear to be something I'm not. I want to actually be able to see. I don't know what your blindness is, right? There's a lot of blindness in our country. There's a lot of blindness in the church. I don't know what yours is. But do you really want to be free? And if you really want to be free and you risk to spit, then you don't choose appearance over actual. I don't want us to get together for four nights and just appear like we're going after God. I want to really go after God. I've told our speakers, just come. Just come and minister. Just come do what you do. I I haven't given them any parameters, any agenda, nothing. I'm just as hungry as you are. I I have no doubt that there will be times over the next four nights when all of us, if we wanted to, could choose to not buy the field, strike the ground, risk the spit. But I want to be all in. And, And the big idea says this. It says being all in means not taking the way out. Being all in means not taking away. There's always a way out, right? There's always a way out. But don't take it. At any point, that man could have gone in his joy. He could have gone in his joy and started selling his stuff and suddenly said, I don't want to sell all my stuff. I'm not going to sell the field. I'm not going to buy the I'm not going to sell my stuff. I'm not going to go buy the field. At any point, man. We could be on our ground, on the ground, hitting the ground with arrows. And we could say, this is stupid. What am I doing here? At any point, we could choose to not strike the ground. At any point, we could choose to not risk the spit. And I want you to go all in. I want to go all in. When, um, when I was in college, I was going to Pfeiffer College. This is before it became Pfeiffer University. And... I um I was super skinny growing up, like super skinny. There's a difference between skinny and super skinny. You know that, right? It's like skinny, skinny, and super skinny is like, where are you? Can't even see you, right? I was 87 pounds in the eighth grade. That's small. Um, so small that when I played basketball, my mom had to buy me elbow pads to put on my knees because knee pads would just fall down to my ankles. I was very, very small. Stick the tongue out, it's just flapping, and invisible. The tongue's flapping. There's like no body. It's just totally invisible. It's like, why is there a tongue in the air flapping? That was me, right? And then I started lifting weights when I was in college, and um, I got a little bit of muscle, and I started feeling better about myself. And so I suddenly had a revelation that God wanted me to play professional football, and um, that I was going to do United Way commercials. You know, like it was going to be awesome, and I was going to give God all the glory, of course, absolutely. And so um, I was working at the YMCA here in town, 
And I walked up during a break, and I saw uh, a newspaper, Charlotte, Charlotte Observer, on the, the desk, and it said that Wingate College had started their football program back. They played for one year, and they were getting to start their second year. And I thought to myself, if there was ever a team that I could make, it's got to be a team that's starting their program back. So I, I went all in. I transferred from Pfeiffer to Wingate. I had three semesters left. Nobody transfers in, like, the middle of their junior year except me, but I did. And I went to Wingate, and I played spring ball so I could make the football team so I could be, on the, be in the NFL and I could make United Way commercials and also probably a lot of money, but whatever. That's beside the point. Anyway, I go to Wingate. Um, I learned a lot of things at Wingate. One, Wendy Flanders went there, and now she's Wendy Jenkins. Come on, somebody say amen. Mm-hmm. Best thing, without a doubt, I ever got from Wingate, right? Second thing I learned um, if you don't make the football team, you can become the manager. But that's another story that we don't have time for now. Third thing I learned, and this is what really stuck with me. We had a coach. Um, his name was Coach Barnett. He, he was about, about as tall as me, but much bigger than me, right? He had played college ball. He was a middle linebacker in college. And then he went on to play professional football for the Cleveland Browns. They do play professional ball in Cleveland, in case you didn't know. But he played for the Cleveland Browns. And he, he, they're so big in the NFL that he played middle linebacker in college. And then they looked at him and said, you're too small to play middle linebacker here. We're going to put you at safety. And that's when I suddenly realized, like, these jokers are big. And they are fast and they can hurt you, right? Well, he was one of the coaches. And so during spring ball, one of the things they had us do was run a mile as fast as you can run a mile. And we all hated that. You know, it's just full-out sprint. You just hate it. And so we're running, and I'm in the back of the pack with a couple other people. They're probably trying to make me feel better about myself. And he would always ride next to us like in a golf cart. Don't you hate that? I mean, athletes in the house, don't you hate that? I mean, if you're a coach, keep doing it, whatever. But athletes are like, seriously? He would talk to us. Like, he just kicked back on the talking to us. We're like. We're dying, right? And you're, what, what in the world? Go talk to somebody else, right? He was, he was putt, 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 putt along. Well, he was with me, so it was like putt, 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 you know, next to us. And then he said to us, I think he realized that we were kind of trying to pace ourselves, going to keep some, something in the tank. And he said these words to me. I'll never forget it. He said, don't pace yourself. If you want it bad enough, it'll be there in the end. There's a lot of wisdom Wisdom with Coach Barnett, right? There's a lot of wisdom in that. Don't pace yourself. If you want it bad enough, it'll be there in the end. And these three stories that we've looked at today, these are men who did not pace themselves. These are men, these are, these are examples of what it looks like if we don't pace ourselves, if we go all in and buy the field. What if you went all in no matter how silly you felt and just struck the ground until somebody grabbed your arm and said, stop. What if you went all in this week? That thing we prayed about earlier, what do you want God to do for you? And it's Tuesday night and it's not happened yet. And what if you went all in and said to God, you know, I asked you for this and it's Tuesday night. I'm still waiting. I risk the spit. Whatever you want to do, I'm open. What if you did that? I believe this, that God would come through for you like you would not believe. That that blindness that you experience, spirit, spiritual blindness is huge. You got blind spots in your life? That means you probably have people in your life that are telling you where the blind spots are and you don't like those people, right? Man, God can clear that up this week. And he wants to. I want you to go all in. And being all in means not looking 
for the way out and not taking the way out. Just simply being all in on whatever God wants to do. Now, here's how I want to finish this morning. I, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to ask yourself some questions. Am I willing to buy the field? Am I willing to strike the ground no matter how long it takes? Am I willing to risk the spit? And if your answer is yes to that, I just want to tell you to hold on. God's going to do something amazing in your life. And this week during Encounter could be life-changing for you, destiny-changing. And I just want to pray for you. Would you just, my eyes are closed as well. If that's you, God, I want to go all in. No matter what it costs me, no matter how foolish it feels, no matter how many times I have to let you do the things that you do, I'm all in. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? to the Lord, and I'm going to pray over you. Father, these hands that are up in this house this morning, I'm just asking that the next four days would mark them and me, that our lives would be different because of Encounter 2017. I know the speakers are coming, and I know they're ready, and I know they've been praying. But God, right now, this is our time to prepare ourselves for what you're about to do. And so we just surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our rights and our pride, and we just want you to to hear us say, we trust you no matter what, God. What I love, Lord, about that story about the blind man is that not only was his vision restored, but the last thing you said to him was, don't go back into the village. You didn't send him back to the places where he'd been. You did something new for him. And we're asking that you would do that for us. That this would be a a week when you take our hand and you lead us away from the places that we've been and heal us and send us somewhere different. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.